All right. Well, hey, welcome everybody to our March 2021 meeting for the Google Educator Group of Ohio, GEG Ohio. This is a monthly meeting where we take a look at everything new in Google from the last month, share Googly tips and tricks, and answer questions related to using Google tools in schools. Howdy. My name is Eric Kurtz, and I'm a tech integration specialist at Spark up here in Northeast Ohio, um, serving about 35 school districts in the uh, uh, Akron Canton area up here in Northeast Ohio. I am joined as always by Stephanie. I'll let Stephanie introduce herself. Hey everyone, I am Stephanie Howe. I'm an instructional technology coordinator for Pickerington Local School District and excited to be here today. Awesome. And we do have some other folks and uh, in, in the meet with us or the Zoom with us. Uh, now, John um, Mansell Plato is here. John, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi everybody. My name is John Mansell Pladel, and I am Supervisor of Instructional Services with the Northern Buckeye Education Council in Archbold, Ohio, up in the northwest corner. And uh, looking forward to finding out some new things today. Thank you, John, for being here. John is one of our leaders for GEG Ohio, uh, and we're so glad that he's able to join us live and in person here. Um, our other leader, uh, Sarah Kiefer, is not able to be with us today, um, but uh, we really appreciate everything she does behind the scenes as well. And we do have our special guest, Patrick. Uh, Patrick, would you like to introduce yourself uh, today? Sure. I'm Patrick Hausman. I am in Northern Virginia, so not an Ohio person, but I have been connected with Eric and Stephanie and a few others for a number of years. I'm part of GEG Ohio, GEG Nova, and definitely help out with a few others. I am a supervisor of instructional technology as well as an ed tech coach. So multiple hats, as many of us do, and busy days, as pretty much all of us have. Well, we appreciate you being here, Patrick. It's so awesome to, to see you here in the meeting with us because, yes, we do go back many, many years. And I, I can't say how much I appreciate everything that you share online. It, it means a lot. Um, well, Patrick is our special guest today. We uh, try to have a, uh, a special guest each month. Um, and uh, Patrick can jump in at any point throughout the meeting to share things. But we will have specifically some time uh, set aside for him in the show and tell later on where he'll be able to. To, uh, share some awesome resources. Really appreciate that. And thank you, Stephanie, as always, for organizing our special guests. Um, all right. Well, um, and of course, since Patrick is not from Ohio, I think that's a, a good time to mention that even though this is GEG Ohio, it is open to anyone, anywhere. <laughs> we are happy right. to have folks, no matter what, as long as you have an interest in using Google tools for schools. And we have someone from Brazil joining today. Awesome. Yes. Oh, that is so great. We are international. <laughs> That's fantastic. And of course, we have Avid here. <laughs> well, okay. Yes, we always have Avid. Well, not always, but many times. And I really appreciate, especially his contributions to the chat. Thank you so much. Well, guys, all the resources for our session today can be found in our agenda document, uh, which I think uh, most folks already have that open. But for any reason you don't, um, I will drop the link in the uh, YouTube chat one more time there. And also, I'll let folks know if you're watching recorded later and you need to get to this document, you can do so at our GEG Ohio website at bit.com. Lee slash GEG Ohio. That website has a link at the top for our monthly meetings. When you go to the monthly meetings page, that's where you'll find the agenda link. There's a table there with each meeting. Here's our March meeting. 
And there's that agenda link. So please do uh, grab this document because it is loaded with links and resources we're going to be taking a look at here throughout our session. It is an editable document, so please do feel free to contribute to the document as well. We encourage you to do that. All right, with all that said, let's go ahead and get started with our meeting. Uh, so we have already taken care of our welcome and introductions. Under important links, we always like to point out a couple of quick things. One is the sign-in form. So highlighted in green under important links, you will see a sign-in form. This is a very quick Google form um, to let us know that you're here. Uh, we use it for a couple of things. I do use this to generate a PDF certificate of attendance for the meetings. Uh, so that's why I'm asking for name and email address. I do not give that to anybody else. It's just so that I can make your certificate for you and get that sent to you. Um, but then we also ask questions like, you know, what is the date you attended? And is this your first time? Because Google likes to know those kind of numbers. And we do share that information with Google to let them know um, how many people have attended the meeting and if this, this is their first time connecting or not. Um, in addition to that important link, um, I know that we've been trying to emphasize uh, lately that we do have a Facebook group as well uh, that is relatively new, um, but I think we've got a couple hundred people in that Facebook group. And if that is a way that you like to connect with people, uh, trying to get that on people's radar, definitely feel free to join that group as well. Uh, anything else in there that you want to mention, Stephanie, as far as important links? I don't think so. I think you covered it all. Awesome. Um, under updates, just, hey, we hit a thousand. We crossed the thousand line uh, for our uh, GEG Ohio email group. So we do have a, uh, a Google group uh, for, um, con for connecting in between our meetings. And that is uh, our GEG Ohio email distribution group. And we're at a thousand and six members now. So that is fantastic. Uh, thanks to the people that bumped us over that since the last meeting. If you haven't joined that, we would encourage you to uh, join that email distribution list as well. It's a great way to ask questions and share resources and stay in touch in between the meetings. Um, let's chat a little bit about upcoming events. Um, anything in there, Stephanie, that you wanted to highlight as far as things coming up on the horizon here? So OETC is still happening. It sounds weird that it's still happening in March. Right. <laughs> Usually it's already over. Um, so make sure you go back. There are a ton of sessions that have been recorded and that you can go back and rewatch. And that is until June 2021. So this summer. Um, also, there are is a call for some more sessions coming up next week. Awesome. And the Fred talks, um, which we kind of talked about last month, I think. Yes. Um, so those quick talks, I think they were 20 seconds, 20 slides. I forget now. Yeah, it's like five minutes. Yeah, yeah five yeah. minutes, quick talks. Um, so those should be really engaging. Neat. Okay. So yeah, OETC is the party that just doesn't stop. Um, we've had a lot of sessions already and you can watch the recordings of those, but they are continuing to go on. And now we even have options for more sessions to come. That's fantastic. Let's see. Other good news about um, upcoming events was a little change to the Neotech conference. That has already happened. Uh, the awesome thing is the recordings have now been extended out until August. Um, initially, they were going to be available only for a few weeks, um, but uh, Neonet has changed that for their Neotech conference to let those recordings go all the way through August 6th. So again, great way to uh, catch some sessions. You uh, did a session there as well, didn't you, Stephanie? I did. Yeah, I did a session at Neotech. 
Um, I can't wait to go back. I was not able to attend live during those two, three days. Um, So I'm excited that they extended the deadline. That's Um, very helpful. Yes. Yeah. And then because of all of the new Google updates, Google is providing different product trainings um, on those. So if you click that link where it says details and registrations, you can sign up for the sessions that look interesting to you. And this is from the Learning with Google event, all of those um, new features that came about during that session. So we kind of went over that in our last video last month. Yeah, excellent. That is fantastic. I've caught several of those. Um, Haven't been able to see every one of them, but I've caught several of those and they've been really helpful. Awesome. I see we do have a call for proposals for the GTEC Summit, um, which is an Ohio-based summit coming up uh, August 3rd and 4th. So that's awesome. And yeah, I see somebody put in a link here about ISTE. Um, ISTE is online again this year. It will uh, not be uh, face-to-face yet. Uh, So this year we're doing another uh, ISTE Live, uh, June 26th through 30th. Yeah, and I know too with ISTE, if you're a Google trainer or innovator, there was an email that came out from D about presenters. Um, yes. So make sure you check that Google Playground email. I think it was labeled Google Playground. <laughs> yep, yep, I just saw D uh, shared that out. Thank you for mentioning that. I need to get that uh, filled out as well. So they're looking for Google sessions for the playgrounds, for the virtual playgrounds. Awesome, guys. Wonderful. Very, very, very good. Well, um, if you guys have anything else to add, please do that. Um, If there's a a upcoming conference or call for proposals or something that we've missed, just add that right on in there. And that would be fantastic. Oh, I did see that uh, Melissa said in the chat that some of their team uh, is is leading some of those sessions from Fry Technology. Yes, that is correct. Um, the Google for Education product training series, Fried Technology, um, has, has done several of those and did a fantastic job. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, we're going to move on to the uh, one of the big portions of our meeting each month, which is what's new in Google, because uh, there's always new things coming out. Um, kind of, I felt like a little bit of a breather this month after last month. It, we didn't quite, I mean, there's, there's still a lot of things here. <laughs> there's still a lot of bullets, but it felt like just a little bit less um, after we had that massive uh, uh, dump of announcements last month, which certainly makes sense. But there were still some things here that kind of caught our eye. And so we're going to go ahead and mention a few of these as as we work through um, our examples here today, our our list here today, and kind of jump back and forth. So um, let's see, the very first thing that i bolded that I thought kind of sounded neat here was some of the updates coming to Google Meet for the mobile app. And um, that's just some improvements, Uh, getting a tile view, split screen, uh, having the background replace option on mobile, including um, controls for Q&A and polls, all these things we can do in the web version, uh, those are coming out for mobile. I just opened up my mobile app before the meeting to check and I did not see any of those new updates yet. And on Stephanie, have you, do you use the mobile option often? Um, if I use the mobile option, I'm usually driving um, somewhere or I'm running or something. So I don't like look at it. It's more, yeah. I just turn it off and then I just listen in. 
but I am kind of excited because I do know that some of our parents, this is their only option. And so for like parent teacher conferences, we did Google meet this year. I'm sure a lot of other districts did that as well. Um, so having this option that they can kind of get a better tile view that split screen and the background replacement, I yeah. think will help those parents that might be joining a parent night. Cause I see video calls continuing after this year. I would right. hope. Right. No, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, and that is nice. Even like just being able to, yeah, to blur out your background, you know, no matter where you're at, that's, that's a convenient feature to have to be able to replace that. Um, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully those will be rolling out at the moment. I've got an Android phone. I updated meet. I looked, I have not seen any of the new features yet, but this blog post, which covers that in a whole lot more does have a section in where it talks about those upcoming features for mobile. Excellent. All right. What do we have next here, Stephanie? So next link is talking about this reading list, um, which I haven't used yet. I didn't notice it until oh. uh, seeing this post. Um, so if you go ahead and open up that link yeah. on this um, blog post, once you update to Chrome 89, um, there is like a reading list option that you can, it's with your bookmarks. So if you try to like star it, you can choose to bookmark it or read it later. Um, and then you can kind of like mark it as read and that kind of stuff, which I thought was really interesting because there's so many times where I do feel overwhelmed. I'm like, oh, I'll read that later. And then I never do. And I'm like, maybe if I have this option of this like reading list, I might. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Yeah, that is neat. I did poke a stick at it as well, um, just to see that it exists. I mean, I don't think I've really done much but to throw one thing in there just to prove it worked. Uh, but that's kind of a neat idea. Yeah, if I want to get back to something later. So like, if, let's say I wanted to read this article. I'm like, oh, I really need to, I really need to take the time and actually read that article. Now, if I click on my bookmark button, it doesn't go straight to adding it as a bookmark. It gives me the option to add it as a bookmark, but then it also gives me the option to throw it into the reading list. So it does mean, you know, a little extra clicking if you're just wanting to do regular bookmarking. But now if I click that reading list option and then over here in the top right, that now shows up in my reading list. And it looks like I can check it as done and I can also remove it. What happens if I check it as done? Does it go ah. green? moves it down to pages you've read, but it still leaves it in the list. That's and then I'd have nice. to hit the X to get rid of it if I'm like totally done. Otherwise I can just have, I can leave it in there as long as I want, but it's no longer in my queue of things to read. And Dana in the chat, she said that she's used the reading list twice now. Um, let us know what you think, Dana, if it is worth looking into and using this tool or how do you see students using this? Maybe they have like a to-do list and they're comparing two different articles and then they have them right there to view. So let us know mm. what you guys think of that. I think in the past I've used, um, I've used pocket. That's normally what I've used if I wanted to save something that I wanted to read later. Um, and that's great. I love pocket. Um, I think I've got my I don't know if I've got, no, that's on my other account. Um, yeah, <laughs> I've got a couple of accounts open here, but I've got the add to pocket extension on my other account. Um, but I could see this being nice just for the, 
the fact that it's right there in front of you. You don't have to then go out to pocket and, and pull things up later, but you've got it just waiting for you and like, yep, time to check those off my list. There is you, a question. You, okay. in the, yeah. Oops, sorry. There's a question in the chat. Can they share a reading list? Um, can you go back up? to that reading list and see if you can share. I don't think so. No, yeah, I don't see anything in here. That Cause that would any... be pretty cool to share a reading list. Yeah. Now, have you used things, Stephanie, to like, if there's stuff you mean to get to, do you normally throw them into some sort of an app or an extension? Yeah. Or... I use um, Toby, the extension Toby for like things that I open frequently. And then I use Wakelet a lot. So that Wakelet okay. extension, um, I'll have it open and then I'm able to plop it into where it needs to go. And then if I'm working on like a training or some type of activity for teachers, I have all of those articles and research right there to help support what I'm getting ready to present on. Um, okay. But I, I haven't, I would never really got into pocket. Yeah, like I like I like pocket. Um, I guess, you know, you end up using what you get used to, I guess. Yeah. The reason I ended up using pocket a lot was in addition to putting it in pocket, I could also label it, which I'm sure you can do in most all these other tools as well. And pocket has a mobile app that has a um, text to speech tool. And so sometimes I would throw things into pocket. And then when I was driving or, you know, mowing the grass or doing something, I would pull them up on the pocket mobile app and let it read the articles to me. Um, so that was kind of a nice feature yeah. of that. And I love what John said in the chat. He had a folder in his bookmarks called to read later, and he might not need that anymore. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Well, cool. Very nice. Um, it's not an extension, Don. It's just the update to the new Chrome. And I know it hasn't rolled out to some of the domains. It looks like. Yeah. Um, I don't remember when it popped up for me very recently. It just showed up a few days ago. And I think it is, I think you said version 89 of Chrome. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I'm trying to look at what I have. And you know what may happen sometimes? Some schools do limit or they they restrict the version of Chrome you can update to because they're wanting to make sure that the browsers in the school will... Um, be compatible with state testing. And sometimes they're like, well, the state tests are guaranteed to work through version, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, then we're not going to go above that version. And sometimes they'll lock things down. But um, as long as you're able to update to the latest version of Chrome, it should come in with that. It's just built into it. Yeah. Seen a lot of great things in the chat. People talking about Digo. I, I remember mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And people using Google Keep to keep track of their reading lists. I do that too sometimes, but I think of it, you know, I think I still go pocket most of the time and then keep more for notes, but it would be perfect. Yes, it would absolutely be perfect for that too. All right. Well, very good. Always yeah, picking up new Toby's ideas. saying he has 89, but he doesn't have that feature yet. And that's the same huh. for me. I don't okay. have the reading list yet. Okay. All right. Well, uh, it is on its way. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Let's see. Uh, the next thing we have up here, uh, something that I know people have been excited about for a long time, is a little bit more control over breakout rooms. In this case, it's being able to set them up ahead of time in Google Calendar. Um, let me show you real quick what that looks like. Let me drag over a calendar event here. So let's say this is going to be like a, a demo meet and I'll add, um, you know, video conferencing to it. 
And then let's say I want to do, um, I'll just um, add some pretend test users here. Uh, so we'll do like test user one, and we'll do test user two, and test user three, and test user four. That's fine. We'll just throw in a few test users here. So if I have a calendar event that has a Google Meet with it, and if I have guests that I've added to it, Right next to the join with Google Meet section in the details, there's that little gear icon, which is the settings for that Google Meet. In the past, when you've clicked on that, that's only brought up the host controls. You pretty much, that's all that was there was just to turn quick access on or off. But now when you click it, you get breakout rooms in there as well. Now, of course, this is only for folks that have the version of Google Workspace that supports these additional features, which in the past has been enterprise. Going forward, we're going to call it uh, teaching and learning is one of the tiers that does this. And then also Google Education Plus, right? Plus is the other one that would have all of these. So heads up, of course, this only would apply if you... Um, do have breakout rooms supported. But once you do, it's just the normal breakout rooms um, dialogue area that you normally get there that has the ability to shuffle people. It's got the ability to drag and drop people. It's got the ability to rename the rooms. It's got the option to change the number of rooms. All the same things you would have normally done while you're in Google Meet, you can just do it ahead of time in the calendar event. And that way, when you you know are ready to launch the Meet, the people are already pre-divided up into those. So um, that, again, I don't know if everybody who's going to get it has it yet. You know, it's one of those rolling out things. I think I've probably seen it for a couple of days um, on my account here. Yeah, I don't have it yet, but two co-workers that I work with, they emailed me and they're like, we have it. And I was like, I oh. needed it for a meeting yesterday. And so I just was not able to pre make my breakout rooms. Um, we do have some questions in the chat. So has anyone actually seen this in their domain? Again, I think it's slowly rolling out. Um, what was the rollout dates? Do you remember? Well, let's see the blog that? post uh, that mentioned it should say at the bottom, looks like it began on March 8th with a 15 day rollout for rapid release domains. If you're on a scheduled release domain, it only started a couple of days ago on March 22nd with again, a 15 day rollout. And I think even those sometimes are kind of gray as to, is it really that? Uh, I do have my domain on rapid release that's set in your admin console as to whether you wanna get things right away or if you've got your admin console set at scheduled release, which just means, hey, I don't want to get things immediately. I want a little bit of time to learn about them before they just show up on there. So that can also make a big difference as to when you get yours. Yeah. And then Christopher in the chat, he said, can you do this in a classroom meet? So I think he's saying like in Google Classroom, getting that meet link. Right. Um, not not yet, right? My understanding is this is at the moment only for meets that are generated inside of Google Calendar. Um, I th think if I remember, the idea is it's going to roll out eventually broader than that. I think this is the only way to access it right now is just through Calendar here, uh, not the link that you have in Google. Because in Google Classroom, that link that you get up in the top for the classroom meet, um, no, it wouldn't have these settings in there. 
Yeah. And then Mike has, he was our special guest last month. So, hey, Mike, um, he was saying that he had a workaround that using maybe the contact list from the classroom and trying to set them up through Google Calendar. Um, so that could work. But just kind of remember, you want to check with your district security. And some people are only requiring those nickname rooms just because they want it to be more secure than the Google Meet. So if you are using the calendar, you might want to turn off the quick access. Um, cause we have kids joining without a teacher and then the teachers are getting all these attendance reports. So just make sure you do communicate if they are going to use Google calendar, what the procedure is, if, um, to turn it off. Yeah. I think turning off quick access is probably in general, a good rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say if you're working with students, yeah. if you're not familiar with that quick access can be accessed in the meet itself, but it can also be, um, changed from the gear inside of Google Calendar here next to the Meet. Um, and it's really just a checkbox. And when you uncheck it, basically, when it's turned off, it just is more secure. The host has to join for first. People have to ask to join. People can't join anonymously. You know, it allows, it gives you more control so that the students can't be jumping in without you um, in there. And so um, I think in general, good rule of thumb, if you've got students in a Meet, typically good to turn that off for those. A lot of people are checking and they've got them in. I'm a little jealous (laughs) (laughs) just to let you guys know. Um, I did see some questions about if you got a bunch of students um, and, you know, would you, you know, not want to have to go in and type in every single email address here? I mean, I, I would recommend using like a Google group at a point like that. If you haven't explored that Google groups, I know sometimes we think of it as like, oh, that's our email distribution group, you know, that we use for GEG Ohio, for example. But a Google group can, doesn't even have to be used for email. You can just set up a Google group to have a group of users, you know, under a name. And then um, you could come in and you could, you know, so for example, if I were to come here and say, oh, I want to, you know, invite the tech integration group. And I won't really save this or I'm going to freak all those people out. Uh, but there's like 139 people in this tech integration group, you know, and it's just a, it's a Google group. Well, I could have the same thing for each of my classes. I better remove that before I forget. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I could have Google groups set up, you know, for each of my classes. And then, you know, that would be great. Um, how about, you um, personal contact groups as well, um, rather than a Google group, because some folks, I don't know, they could be in a district where they are not allowed to make the Google groups. Sometimes that does get locked down. Um, but if I had a, uh, you know, personal contact group here, I haven't tried that recently. Um, I'd have to poke a stick at that one. Um, but I would imagine that would be another option to go in my contacts and create groups there and then add that contact group in as well as a quick way to do it. And you can also copy and paste emails into that guest list. So if you have them coming in from maybe a Google form or you can get that spreadsheet on Google Classroom with all the students' emails, you can copy and paste them right into the guest list and they will all pop up. And then you can also duplicate the event so that they would have the same guests or copy the guests from that event to your other ones. Yeah, so there's definitely some ways to, until this gets baked into Classroom, definitely some ways to get your list of students quickly pasted into that uh, box there. 
Yep. And then Liz is asking if a teacher has 20 plus students, would they need to type each email address for the breakout rooms? Once um, it looked like you just dragged, right? right? Once you've pasted the 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 emails into here, as soon as they're in the invited list, oh no, then all you do is just click the little gear, go to breakout rooms, and they're already broken up for you. It just breaks them up automatically. You can change the number of rooms, you can shuffle them, you can drag and drop them, but no, it puts them automatically right into the breakout rooms at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I put in a resource, I made a um, quick access Google slide because we had a lot of students that were hopping on without a teacher. Um, so feel free to look over or use that resource. Um, it just goes over how to turn it on and off. I did see Leah had a good question about what's the pros and cons of a personal contact group versus a Google group. Um, I do have, and if I, I think maybe while somebody else is sharing at some point, I might try to look it up and throw it into the document. Um, I do have a slideshow that compares the two. Um, and, you know, I mean, you know, short, short answer is a, a, a Google group is a little more powerful and that you've got more controls in there as to, you know, you know, who, who can email, who can post to it, who can't, and, you know, who can join and who can't. And it's also shared. You can share a Google group broadly and say, oh, we can all use this. A personal contact group, it's just for you. You can't share it with others. I mean, you can do an export. You can export it, but then they have to import it, but then it's not live anymore. It's just a snapshot of what it was that day. Uh, so a personal contact group, it's just for you to use. Um, another big difference is if you're trying to do something with a massive number of people, Google limits how many, like how many people you can share something with, like a Google Doc. It can only be shared with 200 unique email addresses. So if you've got, you know, 500, you know, students in a grade level and you need to reach them all, a Google group is one email address that represents all 500 people. So you can add that one address and it only takes up one of the 200 possible, you know, addresses you can share with. If you use a personal contact list, it actually expands. It goes blurf and it expands out and it lists all of the people in it. So if there's, you know, a hundred people in the contact list, when you share with a contact list, it uses up a hundred of those options for sharing. So pros and cons. Um, but um, yeah, that's a good, good question for to ask about clarification on that. All right. Um, you know, so Dan, I, I, I was going to ask the same thing. I just saw that, Dan, and I was, I was going to ask the same thing. And it looks like we have some people poking a stick at something that I was curious about, is that um, in Google Classroom, um, it does create groups automatically. So groups are created in Google Classroom. If I go into Google Classroom and I, oh, heavens, who knows, I'll just try to pick something here that has, um, try to find something that maybe has a couple of demo students. Well, there's not much in that one. Uh, that's okay. Uh, let me see if I have one that has a couple of, no, <laughs> that's okay. I'll just, uh, I'll grab something here that hopefully has, there we go. That's got some people in it. Um, so if you have a, when you create a Google Classroom in the background, Google creates a group two groups actually for every classroom you create google creates two groups it creates a group for all the teachers or co-teachers 
and it creates a group for all the students in the class. And um, you can find that, um, you can see what that group is by going, for example, to the folder for, um, for that. Like if I go to the Google Drive folder for that class, and if I check out like, oh, let's see, I should have probably something in here that would be an example um, if I go into my sharing settings on one of these. So, um, oh, that's just showing the teachers. I'm probably going to have to find one where I've actually got the, um, the, the students in here. Um, but it creates, and if anybody knows a quicker way to find this, let me know, <laughs> because uh, I might need to... Uh, I might not find it fast enough. See, that's the teacher group, but there is a student group that gets created as well at the same time. Um, and like I said, I might, yeah, I'm not gonna find it quick enough, but um, I'm trying to think where that shows up at in there. Um, probably if I created something that was visible to everybody, I'd be able to see it um, a lot he faster. He said under settings, the Google it, Classroom calendar under settings is what uh, Dan's saying. That's where he was finding it? Yeah. Oh, the Google Calendar settings. The Google Calendar settings? Yeah. Oh, he found it yeah. under there. Ah, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, and I, I know I can find it in, in the drive as well, but thank you. Yes, that makes sense. Um, so, right. So if I go to my calendar here and I go into, you said the settings for the calendar here. Let's get to the settings for that. Um, if I come down to any of my... Google Classroom calendars. Um, there, there they are. Yep, there it is. So there's the, there's both of them. Here's the, um, yeah, there's the email for the one that's for the students and there's the one for the teachers. I can't quite see the whole thing in that one. I don't know. Um, yeah, I might have to see an easier way to see the entire address, but that address there um, uh, would have, this would be all of the students that are in the classroom, and this is all the teachers that are in the classroom there. Um, again, I'm, it's getting truncated. I'm, it's cutting off some of it there, so um, I might have to Poke a stick at that one. This is one we're doing a live stick poking here, uh, but uh, that is an actual Google group, uh, you know? And so if I were to take that, uh, I almost got the full thing here. Let me copy it. I almost have the entire thing. I just need to put a .org on the end of that one. Um, if I came here and I put that in .org, that should be, yep. Um, Oh, okay. For some reason, it's yelling at me about that one. I may need to take a look if I did something wrong on that one. Um, but anyway, um, there, it, it, I mean, it added them. I just don't think it's showing me who's, who's all in the list there. But that would be another way to do it as well. Pretty cool. All right. Ah, Michael said he minimized the screen. I was able to see that better. So if you couldn't see the whole thing, if I zoom out on it, no, nope, didn't help me on that particular one, but that's okay. All right. No, well, I hey. love watching this, like, think out loud. 
So does Peggy. She's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Well, this is what this this is what we all do, though, right? Yeah. Is that none of us really know the answers to things. We just poke sticks at stuff, and we go, hmm, let's try this. Yeah, <laughs> but just... it's so it's so much fun to see your process because I'm like the same way. I'm like, okay, let me just test it out. We don't know yeah. unless we do it. <laughs> yeah, but that's important. And it's so important that we model that, I think, for our students, because yeah. we want them to be lifelong learners. We want mm -hmm. them to see us as people that are constantly learning and saying, hey, let's turn this question into a learning opportunity to show our students, hey, how, how, how can we solve this problem? So, yeah. All right. Well, that's great. Well, I know that took us down a little bit of a rabbit hole that's there, okay. but uh, if anybody else has any thoughts or suggestions, keep keep the chat going. That's awesome. Yeah. You guys can keep throwing that in there. No, that was super helpful because <laughs> I don't have it yet. So all these questions that will be coming up for my yeah. teachers, I'll have the answers and they'll think I just knew it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be because of Dan. I'm, I will give you credit though, Dan. Um, so, well, I think you're up next with uh, our next yeah. thing about Chromebooks it's, 10th birthday. Yeah. 10th birthday, which is crazy. It seems like it's been longer. I don't know. 10, 10 years is crazy. I know. Um, so they do have a couple new updates with Google um, or Chromebooks. And so the first one is being able to move between devices with ease. Um, so you can kind of see on here if you, Maybe. Oops. There I don't is. Know. <laughs> is that the one you want me on? Uh, it's up top. I think I it's think. okay. I can, uh, I can, yeah. There we go. One, Thanks one. so much. Um, so then you can click and you can kind of switch between which device you want to view the information on. Um, so again, multiple devices trying to organize which one we're looking at or which one's better. You can kind of quickly do that. And then the next new feature um, quicker access to like new. Um, let's see here, like screen capturing. Oh, so you the can screen capture tool. Yes. Yeah. And I know Eric, you said you've used this, um, I have. one of your Chromebooks. Mm -hmm. And so you're able to screen capture finally on student Chromebooks. Um, I know, I think it was last month we were talking about this and some people were like, well, we still need we video to edit. And yes, you do, but, yeah. Yeah. uh, it's a quick way if students are having issues with maybe technology or they need to quickly explain something, they can just really quickly, um, use that screen capturing mode. Yeah, it's, um, it's, I think, they've promised there'll be more coming, but right now, yes, it's just a recorder. That's it. It just records the video and your voice and that's it. <laughs> but uh sounded like they planned on adding more bells and whistles eventually. So we'll see. And then um, of course we always are looking for ways to save time. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, teachers need to save time because we're so busy. And so now they have like a new clipboard. Uh, yeah. So your Chromebook can save the last five items that you copied, and then you can just quickly paste them onto a new page without having to like switch between windows. So it's the everything plus the V to yeah, you use that. Um, is that what they're calling it now? The everything button. It's like the, yeah, the, 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 the search command. button, the little yes. search. Yeah. yeah. Whatever that button was, instead of control V for paste, if you use the... For on mine, it's still a little magnifying glass search search button. If you press that and the V, like you're pasting, yeah, it brings up the last five things. Which um, is 
very helpful. Like you can see when you right click right there, yeah. or when mm -hmm. you paste it, you can That's see right. the five and then you can pick which one you wanted or pick the order of how you want to paste it in. Um, so it could be really helpful for research that students might be doing for multiple sites or they paste it, they had it earlier and then they forgot or something. <laughs> Um, it just it can save a lot of time. There's yeah. a lot of times where I need to paste a number of things multiple times and I'm having to recopy over and over and over again. So just to keep the last five in memory, that's mm -hmm. now I did mention this in some other chat I was on recently. Uh, we'll see how far back people go with their their experience with Google tools. So the question is, who here remembers that this used to be a built-in feature? And what was it called? So this was part of Google Docs. We actually had this built-in years and years ago. Anybody in the chat remember what that was called? And Google took it away. I still do not know why they took it away, but it was something where you could... Um, when you would copy things, it would stay in a very special clipboard and they would, you could have multiple, you know, entries in there and not only, yes, Patrick, the web clipboard, that's right. <laughs> so in Google Docs, there used to be, uh, instead of it being just the regular copy paste here, there was a web clipboard and it would work across devices. So I could copy something on my, you know, laptop and then, you know, go home and paste it on my home desktop because it was being saved into my account's web clipboard. Um, and uh, yeah, they took it away a long time ago and I don't know why. Sad, but this is good. We're getting some back. What else um, in this, Stephanie? Yeah. So down below, it's easier to share and you can share to multiple different um, places. So maybe you created this um, beautiful artwork and you want to send it straight to um, Twitter. So they're using Google Canvas and then just share and then you can ah. pick where you want to share it to. How nice. And then there's a couple new accessibility features like the select to speak. Um, so it's going to allow you to hear text read aloud and it has um, little new controls that let you either speed it up, yeah. slow it down or pause it when you're reading um, in real time. Excellent, so just getting better excellent. and better, which is really exciting. Well, that's good. That is neat. Yeah. So and then on the last one, yeah, um, yes. there's just some color changes on some icons. Oh, yeah. On the last uh, like slide. Show. Yeah, that one. Okay. So just a couple different colors coming. Awesome. Well, great. If anybody, um, there's certain Chrome updates there that you guys have seen or tried out or know about, please feel free to holler at us in the chat and let us know. Um, I think um, I've only played with a couple of the things here. I have done the screen recording tool. The biggest thing I would say is the, the audio quality wasn't really very good. And I don't know what to blame that on. And I'm not I've heard other people say the same thing. So I was quick to blame it on, well, is it just my Chromebook? Is it just, you know, doesn't have a great microphone, but other people have said they've seen the same thing. I haven't tried to plug in an external mic. I may try that, but it's, it's kind of crackly. Like the audio is not, not real. It wasn't great uh, when it recorded that. So still kind of curious as to what that's all about. And the only other thing I really messed with was the, um, the, the, the tote feature 
that in the bottom corner of your where your time is at, uh, there's a little tote button now so that anytime you do a screen capture or download something, it just is a quick access to recent things that you've saved, uh, which is kind of nice. Yeah. All right, very good. Uh, so let's see what's up next. Um, next, uh, Google has launched the Chrome OS readiness tool to see which of your Windows devices are ready to be converted to Chrome OS. Now, this ties into an announcement from months ago when Google announced they were purchasing Neverware. And Neverware is the company um, that... Uh, you know, makes that uh, tool you can use to, you know, install on like an old, old, old laptop and convert it over into a Chromebook. Um, and I think many of the districts probably have done that. I know I've, I've done that with loads of old laptops. So old Windows laptops that just really were not viable anymore. Um, it was the, um, the cloud-ready um, software um, and it would convert it over to a Chromebook. Well, Google bought that Neverware company and they bought Cloud Ready. And so this is to let schools um, install this, run it on their network, and be able to figure out do they have some Windows devices that are old enough but still, you know, capable that would be good candidates for converting over to basically Chromebooks at that point. Uh, I've not tried this out, uh, this new um, tool they've got, but um, that's kind of the story behind it. So you understand what what's actually, what this means, what we're talking about is converting old like Macs and Windows laptops over to uh, Chrome OS. Yeah, excellent. What's up next? Yeah, and a couple of people are just talking about accessibility in the chat and making oh. the text OCR. Um, so that it can be read aloud to the students. And in our district, we buy a program. It's with the text help family, um, Snapverter. So that helps us. But Leah was talking about her printers are supposed to be able to do that. So huh. I didn't realize copiers had that ability. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, you can use Snapverter on a Mac. I don't know if that's your question, Christopher, but it works on any type of device. It's just like a Google folder and it it's crazy how it works. Um, but our next update is Google Jamboard, which is so exciting. Uh, so Google Jamboard, you can now view the revision history yeah. um, or you should be able to soon. I do have this feature, so I'm not left out um, yep. with the group, but you can rename any other revision histories um, in the Jamboard. And you can also... Um, see what students are doing or which student made that piece of whatever. Um, right. So really nice. And you can also restore. And I was listening to a podcast this morning. I can't remember who it was, um, but they were talking about using the revision history because of the storage concern. So a couple of teachers are getting really worried about this storage and Google changing the storage kind of with it. So we don't have unlimited anymore. And they were talking about what if we use the revision history, called it original, and then maybe you make an update on the revision history. So I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. Yeah. Well, I know people are appreciative of this because everybody loves Jamboard, but I get the concern of somebody typing something 
harmful or insulting or inappropriate and then deleting it and being like, ha ha, nobody can tell who did it. You know, it's unless you were watching at that very moment they were typing it. And so there were some teachers that were hesitant to use Jamboard in case something was abused. They didn't really have a recourse to be able to say, well, listen, we can tell who typed that. Don't, don't do that. You know, and so um, with this now, there'll be more confidence in being able to use this tool, knowing that just tell the kids, hey, don't put something inappropriate in there because it's going to track. You did it. We're going to know who did it, just like a doc, just like a slideshow. Don't do that. So that's great. All right. Good stuff. All right, let me clean up a couple of tabs. <laughs> this always happens. Always get a bunch of tabs open. And so probably a good idea to close a few out before I slow things down. Um, I think um, this one we already, we already mentioned. So that was part of the earlier one about the updates to Google, the, the mobile apps, getting the tile layouts. Um, so what's up next then, uh, Stephanie? All right, so next up is the Google Slides update. Um, so I know before with Google Slides, there used to be like this huge bar at the bottom of the screen and you would try to get it to go away and you'd have to like wait really patiently for it to kind of go away when you're presenting. And now it's really small. So you can see it down in the bottom and it has that number two. So slide two, slide three, and you can click the arrows. Um, you can also click the number to go to whichever part of the presentation you want to go to. And then behind the three dots, there's always more. And so that is where everything else is kind of hidden. Um, so it's just kind of a cleaner look. And I think I like it. <laughs> you know, it caught me by surprise. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that change was, was coming. And yeah. so, you know, but I think it's, it's, it makes sense. You know, that was a pretty big bar. And they were understandably hearing people saying, hey, we're, I think a big thing was probably Bitmoji Classrooms was probably one of the big things that caused this to happen because, you know, they're like, I can't use that whole area down there because every time you get near the bottom, this giant bar appears and nobody can click where, you know, so I have this dead zone down there that, that I can't use. Um, and I think, you know, making this smaller was helpful. Um, mentioning that though, uh, I think it's maybe this will draw attention to people to realize all the cool tools that are down in there, like the like the captioning, being able to turn that on. That's really cool. I think another thing that's neat, um, I'll just bring up a blank slide here. Um, I imagine most people know this, but since we're talking about the that little bar down there, we might as well mention this. So if I come in here and I go to present my slideshow, you know, there's there's the little navigation bar, like we said, um, if you hit those three dots, you would get into all of our other features. One of the things that I, I just would definitely encourage people to take advantage of if they haven't is the exit full screen option here. That's not the same as exiting the presentation. It just means don't have it fill the entire screen. And when you do that, basically it's still in presentation mode, but it's like a publish to the web thing where now I can see, you know, my URL bar and stuff like that. You may say, well, why would that be important? Well, one of the big things that's nice about it is now it acts as a tab because it's still the slideshow. You can still go through it, 
but it's easier to jump to other tabs then and come back without feeling like you've got to exit and you know go back into the slideshow. So if you're doing a, a presentation and you need to be able to do the presentation and quickly jump to something else and quickly jump back over, or let's say you want to use like Screencastify and you want to record a slideshow and you want to narrate it. Well, you can't see the extensions if you're in full screen mode. And so absolutely you can do this by doing publish to the web. That will do the exact same thing. It'll get it in here as well. But this is just a quick way if you're full screen and for any reason you don't want to be full screen, you know, it's an easy way to go to partial screen, uh, which is which is nice. Yeah. And I know there is also a um, and we may have mentioned this in an earlier um, uh, session as well. I don't, I don't remember for sure. There's also um, a way to kind of hack the URL at the top and completely hide that navigation bar at the bottom too. Um, and uh, we may have even mentioned that before, but if not, I can find it. It's uh, you, know, you just put a couple letters and codes at the end of the uh, publish to the web link and uh, it'll just completely get rid of that navigation bar if you don't want it at all. Yeah and Dan was saying the um, shortcut of using preview where it says edit that's the trick I use whenever I want the screen to still show but not be full. Oh okay so you're saying instead of it being edit mm -hmm. changing that to preview. preview. And then you have your presentation. So there's at least three ways then. <laughs> yeah. So we can do change edit to preview. We can present and go and exit from full screen, or we can click file, publish to the web, and tell it to publish it. And then this published to the web link here is the same idea. If you use mm -hmm. the published link instead of uh, that, the published link also does the same thing and goes full screen or goes within your tab. Cool. Awesome. And I love the conversation that's having happening on the chat. They're talking about Jamboard backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, so keep those ideas coming because they're saying like using Canva, you know, adding a GIF. So really good idea to just get them to kind of look better or provides your students a template. Yeah, it sure is nice that the, that we have that option to to add a background to Jamboard so the students can't move things around if you got like a graphic organizer or something like that. All right. Well, the next thing we have here, I think we're down to the last couple, and that's good because we're going to switch over to uh, our uh, show and tell next. But uh, Google launched a new service, a new tool called Threadit, and I have played around with this Um but just a little bit. Um, so Threadit is from their Area 120, and that's one of Google's branches, one of their little subdivisions. Um, that's where they're encouraged to come up with wild new ideas and stuff. And so Threadit came out of Area 120. And basically what it is, um, and I might be able to show this if anybody really wants to see it, because I do have it set up on my other account, and I can drag that over onto this screen if you actually want to see it in action. But what it is, it's a screen recording tool, okay? So first and foremost, it's, you know, yeah, it's like Loom, it's like Screencastify, it's like Nimbus, it's a screen recording tool. It can record, of course, 
your webcam, your screen, both your webcam and your screen. So at first it may sound very much like those kind of tools. But what I kind of liked about it when I went to use it was um, it's really easy to put together multiple clips because basically when you click on thread it and you start recording, it'll record for you and then basically give you an option to record another clip and another clip and another clip. And you can combine all those together into the final thing that you're creating. So it makes it easy to do modular little recordings and not feel like you have to have it perfect all the way through. And then once you're done recording the thread it, um, you send it off to your colleagues or whomever. And when you do that, you can do it view only, or you can do it that they're allowed to reply and they would reply with their own threaded. So it's basically a video to video asynchronous, you know, you're not, it's not live. It's all, you know, it's all recorded video, but then they could reply with a threaded and you could have this, you know, ongoing video conversation going. Um, it looks pretty nifty. Um, I, I was I was happy to try it out and it, I mean, it recorded easy peasy. The thing that I ran into that I found to be a little bit weird was I was doing that on my personal Gmail account and then I jumped over to my 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 uh, uh, workspace. I still want to say you know Google Apps or G Suite or something else, but my workspace, my Google Workspace account for school, and it wouldn't let me use the tool. Um, and I've heard some people have had the same issue and others haven't. Somebody even mentioned that down here. They said when they signed into Threadit, it said I had to contact my IT department to get approval. And that's, that's what I saw too. And so I filled out the form because I'm, you know, one of the admins for our, you know, for our Google domain. And so I filled, there's a form right on the site that says, Hey, you know, I want to, we want to use this. And so apparently I'm in like a queue to get approved. So I don't know. It seemed like it, it realized we were like a school or something and it, it didn't let me use thread it um, right away. Now, somebody else said that it worked fine for them. And, and yeah, and I am too, I, we're a, we're a Google workspace, Enterprise Education Plus. That's exactly who we are too. I, I don't. I don't know why, but it basically said we had to wait to get approval for it. Same for so. us. I put in um, today because I asked my boss. I was like, "Hey, can we try this?" Yeah. Because it looks really cool, especially like when teachers have issues, they can just send me a quick video, and then I can respond by video or whatever. And you don't have those long emails going back and forth, and the questions like still unanswered. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm not sure. Um, I guess, yeah, let me know if you hear and I'll do the same. But yeah. I mean, it looks like a pretty nifty. I mean, I thought it was slick. It reminds um, me of Flipgrid in a way, but between. You know, I kind of wondered, yeah, if this was sort of their, not like a response to that, but if they yeah. were picking up some of that flavor, you know, that you're doing more of like a, a video conversation here that way. Yeah. All right. So what do we have next here? Next up, we have, let's see here. There it is. Um, so we have captions. So live captions with videos and audio. Um, so we're going to go ahead and look at the link because there's a really nice graphic, I believe, on this one. Yeah. Um, so on this video, if you were to like play it, you can turn on in your settings. You can like scroll, I think, halfway a little bit. There we go. So in your settings, 
you can go to accessibility and then right here, turn on live captions. And it takes a little bit. It's just like an update kind of like um, waiting period. And then you can go to any video and you have live captions built right in. So here's the dog talk or they're talking and then you can see what they said. So again, just making it a lot simpler for students and teachers to use those closed captions. Yeah, um, I did turn this on and I did try it out. So many things already have captions and I know that's you know not the purpose of this because sure, if something already has captions, that's great. Um, but yeah, if you go into your settings for Chrome and I don't know if I turned it on this account or not. Uh, again, I've got so many accounts here, uh, but under advanced, under accessibility, there it is. I'll turn it on for this account too. Um, once you have it turned on, if there's audio coming through from anything, a video or, you know, even a podcast playing on a web page or something like that, it will live caption it for things that wouldn't normally have captions. Now, if it has captions, you'll get double. <laughs> you'll get the captions that came with it and you'll get these as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure if, you know, what would be an easy way for me to demonstrate this. I'd probably just have to find, you know, um, I don't know, maybe like, a, I bet if I found like a, a, a site that had like, you know, a podcast or something on there, um, because, you know, most, I wouldn't think, um, let me think, is the, can I play the, um, the Anchor podcast through a web browser that you do, Stephanie? Yeah. Yeah. Just go to. So if I go to. Um, I think on the agenda, if you go to the link at the top. Yeah. Um, so here where you've got your podcast link, if I go here. Can I play one of these just by hitting play? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what should happen if I've done this right is because there's audio coming from that, then a caption should appear. Let's see. Mm -hmm. There it is. Now, I don't think I shared my system audio. So you guys probably aren't hearing the audio in the background, which is okay. Um, I, I don't think I shared my system audio, but you're noticing those captions are appearing. And if you click the little arrow at the bottom, you can make it bigger or smaller for the area. That's awesome. So if something doesn't have built-in captions, this is now a feature inside of your settings. I'm going to turn it off though, just so it doesn't pop back up again here in case um, that gets confusing. Um, and right now it's for Chrome on like um, Mac, uh, Windows and Linux, and then it's going to be baked into Chrome OS too for Chromebooks as well. And Brenda was saying that it works with Spotify as well. She just tried it. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that has any kind of audio coming through live captioning, just built in option now. Really cool. She said you can also move it on the page. I haven't tried that. Yeah. So that's good to know. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think the last thing that we had bolded here was um, an update to Google search. We all know that if you go and you run a Google search, uh, there's many times you'll get interactive elements. Like if I come here and I know we've mentioned this kind of stuff before you search for like a timer and you get, you know, an actual timer. Well, they've now added another one of these fun instant search cards. And for this thing, what they've added is, um, uh, reviewing, whoops, I think I skipped over it. That's augmented. Oh, here, there it is. Um, uh, 
practice problems. So they have practice problems for high school math, chemistry, and physics. And you have to type in a search term that is something like chemistry practice problems or calculus practice problems. You've got to put the word of the subject first, followed by, you know, practice problems. So like I've got some examples here. This one is algebra practice problems. So if I search for algebra practice problems, then it pulls up this practice problems section. And if I do like this one is I think I put in chemistry. So here's chemistry practice problems. And so what it does is sure I get my normal website links, but I now get this interactive um, tool where I can say, okay, you know, you know, here's my problem and then I can come in and uh, I don't think I'll, <laughs> I don't know uh, what my, what my answer is. I'm just going to, I may get it. Oh no, I got it wrong. I was just guessing. <laughs> but uh, and then I can move through these practice problems that are pulled from all of these different sources. So yeah, if you're looking for some additional high school math or science practice problems that can be accessed right from Google search now as well. Pretty slick. Well, we did it. All right. Uh, <laughs> so that gets us through the updates. Um, what's going to happen next is we're going to have uh, Patrick uh, share uh, with us here. What we're going to do is we're going to move over to our show and tell. So in the show and tell section, basically what's going to happen is we're going to share cool, just cool stuff that we've come across in the last month or something neat, a project, whatever it is we want to share. Uh, we're going to let Patrick go first so he can have the time he needs to do that. After he's done, I'll share a few cool things I've come across. Stephanie will do the same and we'll take a look at what you guys have shared in the community. While that's going on, please feel free to add to the community section of this. If you've got some more things uh, that we could add into this, we would love for you to do that. And then at the when we're all done with show and tell, we'll revisit Q&A once more. It looks like we only had that one question about Threaded. So if nothing else comes in, that's fine. But if you guys do have any other questions, please feel free to throw them into that section. Before we make that switch, Stephanie, anything else you saw in the chat that we should address or anything else to chat about before we move on. It's like they were talking about Flipgrid and Threadit and how they're kind of similar. And okay. then they were talking about Jamboard a little bit more. <laughs> and then how you could move it. And they were talking about like it could block something. So just move it over. So yeah, lots of great comments in the chat. Make sure you fill out that question and answer and also the community show and tell. So we know what you have to share for the community this month. And I am so excited for Patrick to take it away. Every time Patrick presents, I learn something new. Um, so I'm really excited to allow him to present. So let me unmute before I start talking. I talked for like <laughs> two minutes straight in a meeting the other day. And you're like, <laughs> I just felt so bad because I've never had to tell you to do that before. So I'll go ahead and spin up my screen here as well. Make sure I choose the correct one. So. Right now, you should just be looking at the agenda that we were looking at. Is that correct? Yes, that looks perfect. Perfect. Okay. So one thing I was going to point out, and I'm glad it wasn't quite what we hit, but something I started doing for some presentations is making one slide in a Google Slides presentation for the purpose of running captions in the background. So you'll see, obviously, I still have the old school toolbar, but if I turn on those closed captions and I pop back to the tabs that I was using before... I've purposely sized my screen so those captions will show down below, but I don't leave enough out that I click and I advance through the slides. So if while I'm presenting, 
I click back to this to turn it back on or turn it off, it's still a meaningful slide that has contact information, has something, sometimes I put a funny meme scale or something up there, but it's a way that if you can't live caption with the tool you're using, it's a way you can build that in. And the way that I actually do it is a different uh, URL hack. I actually do slash present at the end. So it does essentially the same thing as the slash preview, but I do slash present because I, like a lot of you, I assume, normally have a ton of tabs open. So I use that avenue to get there. So the resource that I shared with you guys outside of this is a slide deck that I recently took a pretty deep dive down the rabbit hole. And as Eric said, um, kind of poked a stick at a lot of different things and just searched everything, scrolled down the footers and clicked where it went. That's how I learned about the Area 120 from Google and different things. But this slide deck has really probably grown way larger than it ever should have been. But that's why it'll never be presented essentially as an hour long session. But there's a ton of different sections in here. I tried to give you a nice guide there to kind of look down through. Do you want to look at something with maybe Chrome data, something with drawing or design, maybe some resources for family? One thing that I do want to point out, and I won't touch on all the tabs I have open, it's just in case I talk too fast, I wanted to have more than I would need. But one recent extension that I found that I did not know existed, but I found it through Twitter or some avenue is called TextBlaze. And what TextBlaze does is allow you to essentially program what they call a snippet. And you do that fairly easily from the website. You would just click where it says new snippet. And I'll show you one that I have made already so you can kind of see the editor. But you give it a label. You give it what you're going to type in to make it appear. And then if I was in, say, that Google Doc, and it works anywhere that you're in the Chrome browser, so it wouldn't necessarily work for, like, Zoom. I couldn't type this in the chat in Zoom. But if I came in here and realized I forgot that I gave you my credentials, I could do slash PH, and that extension is going to automatically then fill what I've programmed it to do when I do the slash PH. And you can see that gives you all of my contacts. And if I would have forgotten to give you the short URL for the presentation, I can do that same thing with that other text blaze that I have programmed in for hidden Google goodness. And that is the slash HGG. So again, in Google Docs, for instance, I know you can do that in preferences, but you can also do it here. And then you could use it in slides. You could use it when you're doing a search. Anything where your Chrome extensions would be active, that text blaze would work. And as I close tabs and keep rolling down through, all of these different things that I'll kind of show you and talk about fairly briefly are all within the slide deck. So I won't necessarily go in order and I definitely will jump around. But as you come down through the slides, you will see everything that I'm going to mention. But this first one is material.io slash design from Google. So again, a tool some people have found, some people have looked at, but not one that a lot of people have found. So on this website, you have a bunch of different design things. And the place that I usually jump to fairly quickly here is the resource tab. And that's going to get you to resources like the kind of material design icons that you can scroll through, find all kinds of different, essentially free to use icons that you can use throughout your design work as you're creating slides. We, a lot of us have seen the different font options that you can get from Google. And a lot of those different things are built into this page. Again, it's off of material.io. 
but you can see we have Google Fonts here. We also have a color tool as well as a color palette generator. So a lot of different free to use tools that are linked off of this page. But again, one of those kind of googly things that you may not have seen, may not have played with, but there's a ton of different things kind of as you dig down through. And again, this one is all about design and it's material.io. And a lot of times when you first come to things, you may not necessarily see that it's Google, but when you come down to that footer, that's where you're gonna start to be able to see it. And a lot of times those different links are then gonna take you to other places. Like for instance, the, the one that we saw a little bit before this with Threadit, again, coming from that offshoot from Google. One of the more recent finds and things that I saw get announced is the families.google page. So I know when we first switch to kind of remote learning, hybrid learning, concurrent teaching, whatever form or model you're in, we, we scrambled to try and get some meaningful things to parents. And I saw a lot of companies kind of doing the same thing. Google has had a few different things that have existed, but not really a landing page for all of them to come together. And that's where this families.google really comes in. It gives you information like how much screen time is too much. And you can see they've partnered with Common Sense and PBS Kids Headspace to bring you in content here, again, all in one place. You have an infographic, guides and resources for popular tech, different parental controls that you can turn on. And I'll scroll down here just a little bit. You can see they definitely have more tools as I come down through. And then you can see some of those tools that, again, used to exist in different places, but are now kind of pulled into one hub where they can branch out to internet safety with Be Internet Awesome. They can jump out to Family Link and learn how they can control how much time students are able to have on different things. So again, a fairly new thing that was launched recently, but a great resource for families to try and give them a place to come back to and something that they can keep as a bookmarked resource to go back and forth. As we kind of come down through some of the different options, one thing that I recently found that was completely something I had never heard of before comes from the Google News Initiative, which I had not really known of before, but it's newsinitiative.withgoogle.com. And one of the thing they, things they have is a Google News Lab. And this is all the Google News team coming up with different things that can help people. And initially, obviously, I thought, well, that's a lot of our students aren't going to be newspaper writers, but some very well could be. But you can see as you come down through, they have topics that are really kind of pointed to today, such as trust and misinformation. How um, can local news organizations continue to serve? So how do those local news places keep doing what they do? inclusive journalism, emerging technologies, and all of these different things are things you can click on to go to for more information. And they also have a big training center with different free resources that can help you become better, better storytellers, better writers. That is obviously something that I could definitely use. And I think some of my students could use as well. So some really cool stuff there. And again, all of these things are linked into the slide deck. And by no means will we get to even half or a fraction of them. But I'm going to go ahead now and jump down to very close to the last section, to one that I found a little while ago 
but I really liked as a person whose undergrad was in history. I've pretty much done completely technology stuff since then, but I really love this notable women, which started as kind of an experiment. It's now notablewomen.withgoogle.com. And as it says at the top, it walks you through where they have kind of swapped out the faces um, that you would normally see and probably know better with all the faces you don't see on those bills, but probably could or should. And what I really like is you get information about all of them. You can obviously share that information, but you also have this for teachers tab, which gives you lesson plans from every grade from three all the way to 12, where you can dive into some of these lessons and really use this content in a meaningful way, not just look at it, show it to the kids so they can see it, but really dive in and use it as a dynamic teaching tool, which I envision is what they were hoping for when they made it. And it actually, if you click on the about, you can get more information and you can see it actually comes from a former treasurer of the United States. So it's really cool to see that perspective, hear that perspective, and then dive into something that's really cool as far as something that is definitely educational and something a lot of our students have probably not seen before. And with that, I'm going to jump down to the last section and touch on just a few things down here in the bottom. One of them, I hope a lot of you know about, this is not necessarily something educational in any way, but if you've never heard of Google Opinion Rewards, it is a way that you can make a little extra money. And I, I have not met many people that probably wouldn't want just a little bit of extra money in their pocket. And that Google Opinion Rewards is an app for iOS or Android. And essentially what it does is periodically prompt you with little surveys to take. And every time you take one of those fairly short surveys, normally I would say it's 20 seconds or less that it probably takes to complete. Depending on how many questions, you get a certain amount of money back. Sometimes it's 10 cents, sometimes it's 20. If it's a little bit longer survey, you might get a dollar, but essentially it's completely free money. And I can tell you from using this off and on, my Google Pay account right now is currently at like $20 for, and I should have said Google Play, so I can get different apps. I could do a movie or something with that, but I actually use it to pay for my Google One, my expanded storage in my Google account, which I have literally actually never had to pay for. I just take these surveys and they pay for it for me. So a great little resource to make a little extra money. On Google, it goes right to Google Play. On the Apple side, I believe you can program it as my wife has to pay it out to PayPal so you have it there for you. And just a couple last things on here. If you've never checked them out before, and I'm sure a lot of people on this call have, definitely check out Google Experiments. There are new ones, it seems, almost every day. Arts and Culture is getting a lot of kind of cool ones that they're linking to their homepage. So some really cool stuff coming out there that's not necessarily part of any one Google tool, but is definitely some really cool things that you can use in meaningful ways. And I found a lot of things through some of these that really fit nicely with our elective teachers in like art and music and things that traditionally may struggle a little bit with how they can utilize some of the other Google tools in a way that actually ties directly to their content. There's a ton of things like the Chrome Music Lab and a bunch in arts and culture for the art side that give those teachers something directly that they can use in their classroom that I've really been happy to find. And of course, it's super fun to just dive in and explore those different things as well.
And then the very last section here are just some things that are straight up for fun. Some of you have probably lost internet at a tech conference as you've rolled in with your four or five devices with a few thousand of your friends and killed the internet. You've probably seen the T-Rex game come up and he can't reach the internet, but you can play a game during the time you can't. One of the biggest things that dismayed me um, a couple years ago is our super admin in our division actually figured out how to disable the game. And now when we lose internet, we just see the dinosaur. You click the space bar to start playing and nothing happens. It's very depressing. But there is a game here link that you can actually play at any time you want. And I will say it was a legitimate reason it got turned off. We had some enterprising young ones in some of the few desktops we still had that were wiggling out the Ethernet cord just enough so that it would disconnect but not fall out so they could hit the space bar and play the new Internet game. So I completely understand, but a couple things there just for fun, including the emoji scavenger hunt. There are some later slides there for even more things. And the last thing I'm going to leave you with, and this is actually something I saw Melissa from Fried Technology in the chat. This is something I learned from one of her coworkers, Daryl, at a recent training that they did. But I've seen picture-in-picture -picture work on a mobile device, and I think you guys have probably seen it as well, where you're searching YouTube video, playing it, and you go back to search something else. It'll keep playing in a small screen for you. What I didn't know is that was actually accessible online as well. So the first time you right-click a YouTube video, you're going to get the normal menu you've probably seen before, where you can loop the video, copy it, grab some embed code. But if you right-click that same thing a second time, you're going to get this picture-in-picture -picture option. And when you click on that, you're going to see your video now comes down to that picture-in-picture -picture spot down in the bottom. You can drag it around and move it. So if I didn't want it to cover up those captions, I could squeeze it up a little. But the awesome thing for me and the part that really nailed at home is something that could be educational is if I then click on my document that I'm in. So for instance, our agenda we had up, I can now play that video in the bottom right-hand side of my screen while I'm typing notes, taking notes within my doc. And I'm not necessarily needing to split screen. I have the doc and with that nice sidebar that you have in docs you have that video sitting right there that you can play in the bottom right and have that content right there while you type your night notes and go through. And I did not share my audio um, right now, but if you have never seen this video before, just search uh, paperless iPad commercial or something along those lines. And it's a fairly funny commercial that goes through a bunch of different scenarios where this guy is not so nicely kind of chiding his wife about using too much paper until he gets to the end here where he runs out of paper in a scenario where you really don't want to run out of paper. He calls for his wife and she slides the iPad under the door. So a lot of different things here and I didn't want to take up too much of your time, but I hope this resource is a good one for you and gives you a ton of different things to kind of come back to, explore and have fun with. And I know, as I said, I dove way too deeply into it when I made it, but I really enjoyed that process. So hopefully you will enjoy kind of the fruits of some of that labor and get to use some of that, not only for you, but with your kids as well. That was awesome, Patrick. Thank you so much for sharing.
Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Fantastic stuff. Um, I'm always, always looking for new things to add to my similar hipster Google session. And uh, you had some amazing things. And I'm like, oh, that's so great. So thank you so much for not only putting those together, but for sharing that with us all. Uh, Awesome, awesome stuff. Very, very good. And looking at the chat and YouTube, everybody agrees. Um, (laughs) So uh, everybody agrees. Well, let's go ahead and um, I will uh, share my screen again. Well, actually, Stephanie, unless you're ready, do you want to go ahead and do your, um, do you want to go first this time? Yeah, I can go. Um, Patrick, somebody in the chat, I don't know if you want to answer them there or come back. Um, They're asking, do you do public webinars? And if so, where can they find them? I will say that I've started dabbling in. I do a little bit with um, obviously Global GEG and then my nonprofit that I started connected to my innovator project, Unison EDU, we're starting to dabble there, but I would be more than happy to connect and do some sessions as well. So definitely look me up and I'm going to slowly get over to the chat here and I'll look and try and answer some things there too. Okay. And feel free to like link any other videos. Um Trying to, you did Nearpod ones recently on Global. Yep. So if anyone uses Nearpod, Patrick did two great sessions. Um, so those are able to go back and rewatch. So if you could just put some of those links in the um, notes, that'd be awesome. Absolutely, will do. All right, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. All right, so this month, um, my shares, I've got my newsletter, feel free to dig in. These are like things that I found on Twitter, um, resources that I just found listening through podcasts or whatever, and there's a ton of different templates. Um, So feel free to dig into this resource. Uh, This one was really cool. It's a Story Cubes Wakelet. Um, so it has all of these amazing links. And if you are trying to find a fun activity, I know we have testing coming up. So this could be a really good activity for the afternoon part of the time. And there are um, all of these different story cubes where you can have the kids roll the dice and then they can create their stories. So this one right here, you can just click the video and then just pause it. When you get to the character, here's the place, where did the story take place? And again, the kids just click the videos and then they just pause the videos and then they would create their story. Uh, So it could be a really fun um, way just to get kids thinking creatively after maybe some of those long days of testing. And again, there's a whole Wakelet collection um, right there. Also on here, we just wrapped up um, the Edu Protocols Google or Classroom style. Um, So we had multiple students that kind of came along with me and we went through some really fun edu protocols to show what it would look like in the classroom. It was a lot of information, very overwhelming. Leah, who's watching um, in the chat, she was one of the students and we had a lot of fun. This was actually her idea. And so when you click on one of the videos down here, so it doesn't become super overwhelming, these are all timestamped. And timestamping is actually really easy to do. Eric does it for all of our Ohio videos. And I was like, I have no idea how he does it. Like it looks really hard and it was really easy. All you had to do was go into the description 
add zero, zero, and then you just listed out all of these different, they call them chapters. And I think these chapters could really help some students uh, in the classroom. And so they can just go, oh, I wanted to see sketch and tell, they click it and it takes them to that part of the video. So maybe you're like, I wanna just try a new edu protocol this week. You can go to whichever part of the video and you can just watch that section. Um, all of the resources and slide decks are in here. So you can go to the slide deck, see the examples. And then in the show notes down here, or not show notes, I always call these show notes, the speaker notes, you can kind of see if there are any templates like this one. If you click it, it's going to take you to like the blank original template for our cat and dog. The worst presentation ever. We did that this week. It was a lot of fun. And it was funny because when you teach this lesson, you go over the worst presentation ideas and things that people do, like amount of bullet points that people use, color schemes that just look really bad, sketch photos, um, blurred photos, like fonts that just look awful, tons of data. And so you show this slide deck to the kids and you talk about like, oh my gosh, like all this word art. And you talk about really, really bad presentations um, that they might have seen, that they might have created. And then they make the worst presentation ever. Once they make the worst presentation ever, they then um, share the presentation with another group and that group has to present their presentation. So a lot of fun. And the kids, we did it this week, they loved it so much. Um, so we're actually doing it again tomorrow with cohort B. So it was just a lot of fun to do this activity. So all of those resources is, are in the notes for today's agenda and feel free to watch any parts of those videos. We try to break it up by book. This covers book one. This second one is book one and two. It's like the end of book one, just because we ran out of time on round one. And then book three is the math version. So the math book just came out. And then also with the math version, there's like random protocols that haven't made it in a book yet. They might be brand new that just haven't made it into one of the books but we wanted to cover them. So again, lots of fun. Shout out to Leah for that great idea. This um, video, I know it's super long, but it is worth every single moment. Um, I was listening to Jake Miller's podcast. And if you haven't listened to Jake Miller's podcast this week, um, our friend Eric Kurtz is on. So you might want to check that one out. And this one, Jake Miller is on at the beginning of the, like he's like right here, the beginning of the show. And if you guys don't know Daryl, I know Patrick brought him up. He is hilarious. Um, he has been on our podcast, me and Lance's podcast, Get Inspired and Innovate. And he is just like the funnest person to be around. And so is Elizabeth. And so if you watch this video, you can get some really fun ideas of different games that they kind of did um, during this session. And they were, it was really engaging. Like, again, I was just like listening to Jake Miller's podcast. And then I was like, I have to watch more. And that was like just the first um, 45 minutes. And so I went on to YouTube and I finished the rest of the video because I was so engaged with it. And this again could be some great activities for after testing. So I just wanted to share one of them. They had this story ABCs. And instead of um, typing the story, you create an event, you create a potential problem with the event, role in charge of like who's in charge of the event and then you have to start with the letter a and the kids don't type it they use dictation 
So you go into tools, voice typing, and then you would start with the letter A for your story. And then the next student would be B. So they have to pick up what student A said all the way down through the alphabet. And so maybe you could have different teams with students competing against each other and then seeing who creates the most like funny story or most creative story. And the kids work together in their teams. Uh, again, it was so much fun just watching this. And they had so many other ideas as well. Um, they had like emoji stories games. So we stole a couple of these ideas and used them uh, in a couple of our events that we had just to create like a warm up with students. The next one is so you think you can coach. So this is really exciting. Um, we just had our Google coaching event last night. Um, and these are five trainers that are wanting to become Google trainers. So they presented their case study last night. So if you're looking for some examples in case studies and what those might look like, these are five really great ones that you can kind of see. And you can kind of get a feel for if you are interested in Google Trainer and if you kind of wanted to see a model training lesson of what that case study was looking for. And so they got feedback and they are ready to almost submit their training applications. I'm so excited for them. And Leslie Altman, who's right here, she is um, from Australia. They are getting ready to run another cohort. I believe it's on the 30th. And you can catch all that information on Global GEG. But on the 30th, they are doing one that's more UK focused. But again, anybody can join in. It's like 9 p.m. UK, so 4 p.m. Eastern. So if you are interested in becoming a Google trainer, now is your chance to do that with support from a community. And then we were talking about read and write earlier today. And so text help, um, they did a series with Global GEG that covers all of these amazing tools. And if you missed the announcement, Google trainers and innovators and coaches all got a free version of text help. So make sure you check out that email. And this is just a really fun webinar series that goes over all of the tools in more detail. And I know I promised you guys I was gonna show you Snapverter. So um, I'm gonna go to my Google Drive. And there's this program, it's with TextHelp. We did not really do a whole session on this. Um, in the read and write part, there is like a portion of it that covers um, Snapverter. So in my drive, I have to find the folder. And all you need is a PDF. Um, and so here is my Snapverter folder and I've got my PDF on my desktop. And I'm gonna take this one from the Ditch Summit and I'm gonna put it in progress. It is going to upload to the in progress folder and it is going to slowly move to, um, oh wait, I lied. I need to drop it to the drop in here folder. I did it wrong. So you drop it in here. And then it's going to go to the in progress folder and then it's either going to be finished or failed and so now in my finished folder i have all of these different documents that can now be read aloud and so if i click these i can turn on my read and write for google toolbar and then i can click um, to read and it will read the text out loud to the students um, so it can be really really helpful for kids as they are um, reading different texts And then we were also talking about Adobe Spark and Canva in the chat for Jamboard backgrounds. Here are the direct links if you are interested in signing up for education. 
Make sure you use your school account. Um, they will only grant it if it is an educator account. So make sure you use your school account for that. And then you can also set it up so your students can join your classroom. Same thing with Adobe Spark. You're gonna click this purple, get started now. And then right here, you're gonna click this one. Um, it's the purple, get started for teachers. It's a limited release. And then you'll just go ahead, you'll sign up with your school account. Um, and then you can connect your students to that classroom. And then finally, April Fools is almost here. There are a few Chromebook pranks that John Sowash released. So there's that Google Gravity where everything just kind of falls to the ground. There's that fun wallpaper that you might want to play some tricks on your students. Um, word replace. Prank them so you can check out some of these different ideas if you want to play a joke on maybe your kids or your students. Um, and that's all I have. So, Eric, you're up. Well, that's fantastic. I always love the stuff that you share. Um, I always grab so many awesome ideas to pass on to my, my teachers uh, in schools as well. So thank you for pulling all of that together. Ah. Such, such good stuff there. Uh, let me go ahead and I'll share my screen again. Uh, let's see, find the right screen. There we go. And um, I um, have a couple of things as well. I won't go through all of these, but I'll highlight a couple that uh, had jumped out to me this last month. Um, one was uh, some neat extensions that I thought were at least worth investigating. And I've played around with these a little bit. Um, one was called WordTune. And WordTune is an extension that will use artificial intelligence to suggest possible ways to reword uh, things you've written. And sometimes I see stuff like that. And I think, oh, you know, it's probably not going to work that well. AI is still coming along. I was actually pretty impressed by it. It worked really well. So like if I'm in a Google document um, and if I come in and I highlight some text, when I do that, I get this little pop-up and the little sparkly button is the rewrite button. And what it does is it will give me, you know, other versions of what I had written. Uh, and if I want to spice up my writing a little bit. And so I'm including this in the list of stuff. Um, I do a session on, um, uh, self-editing, you know, so, you know, the idea that before you turn something in, if you want to go through and, and look for errors and do some editing and do some rewriting, this could be another neat one to include in there where if you're wanting to uh, spice up your writing a little bit and maybe uh, try to find, feel that you're using the same words all the time, uh, maybe looking for another way to be able to express something. And so, um, did uh, put a link to WordTune in the agenda. And then this one I have not tried uh, yet. So this is just more of a, hey, heads up, it exists. And if somebody has used it, uh, definitely feel free to let us know your experience. I know there's so many screen recording tools out there. I mean, we just talked about the built-in screen recording feature in you know, Chrome OS now. And I know we've talked about uh, Clay Smith's uh, Record to Slides extension in the past and Screencastify and this and that. And oh my gosh, there's so many screen recording tools. Uh, VMaker, maybe it's just another one, uh, you know, to, to look at, uh, but it did seem pretty nice. Um, the free version is unlimited in length and unlimited number of recordings. The limits um, was more on like the 
the uh, quality, like how, you know, how large the video was uh, width and length. Uh, so I don't think it can do like, you know, HD video. It's going to be a little bit of a lower quality video, um, but still totally fine, I'm sure. Um, and yeah, there's a paid version that, you know, has a few more bells and whistles to it. But thought if people are, again, comparing screen recorders and they just wanted to have, you know, another thing as an option, this one looked like it might be promising to take a look at. Um, other things that jumped up on my radar, um, uh, a nice blog post here on how to easily convert a YouTube video into a GIF. Uh, and there are times when I have found YouTube videos that are demonstrating something and I've wanted to make a GIF out of that. And I've had to, you know, use like, you know, Camtasia and, and, and grab it myself and turn it into a GIF. Nice blog post here on how to uh, do that using a, uh, a particular website. I believe it's gifs.com is the website, but the trick is all you have to do is put the word GIF in front of the word YouTube in a YouTube link, and it will actually jump over to the GIFs.com site and pull that YouTube video in for you. And then you can trim down to the spot you want and boop, spit out a GIF from that video, which I thought was nice. Uh, and at that point, you just, you know, download that. Um, next up on the list, I know there's been a lot of discussion about Google um, with their um, sunsetting of the expeditions tool and Google Tour Creator, as well as Google Tour Builder, all of those are shutting down this summer. Saw this one called Expeditions Pro that could be a possible replacement for Google Expeditions and Tour Creator. Um, it has not launched yet. They're still gathering people for the beta. It looks really promising, though. It looks really promising. And so uh, they're basically saying this is going to mimic what Expeditions did, but also will mimic what Tour Creator did. So you can build your own 3D interactive tours. Um, I read through all the details here and it all looks fantastic. Um, uh, I don't know yet for sure, you know, what it's all going to, you know, look like in reality, but at the bottom, there's a spot here where you can sign up for the beta. I did. So I'm waiting to hear and see more about when this launches to try it out. But they're saying, you know, you can, of course, export your old tours from expeditions and pull them into this new one, as well as build from scratch. So, I don't know, possibility. We may have something that can be a replacement for Expeditions and Tour Creator. It'll be exciting to, to watch and see that. Um, and then uh, the last thing I have in the list here is um, a, uh, a script for Google Docs. So usually we talk about add-ons, we talk about extensions. This is actually a script uh, that's built into Google Docs, um, which is for the reading difficulty power tools. And so basically what it is, is a, um, a, a script. So what you're going to do is you're going to make a copy of this document, which I think is now over here. Here's the copy of the document. And when you make a copy of the document from the website, this little link here that says open the beta will make a copy of the document for you. It has the reading power tool, tools built into it as a menu option. So it's basically an app script that's been built into that particular document. So the idea is what you can then do is, of course, you can get rid of the data, you know, in here, you can take everything out of that document. And now you can paste in your own writing. So, I mean, I don't know, I would have to 
I would have to grab something to throw in there real quick, but I'm sure we can do that pretty easily. I'll just grab, I'll grab one of my uh, Eric the Rad blog posts here. Let's just grab some text real quick. So if I had this text and I put that into, let me find the right document now, put that into here. So if a student has, you know, uh, copied and pasted their writing into there, or you as a teacher, uh, maybe there's an article that you want to use with the students, paste it in here, and then you can use the reading power tools to run a bunch of tests on it. For example, there's the difficulty guide. And what it will do is it will read through the document and it will come, let me go ahead and get rid of that guy. There we go. Um, that was my uh, um, one we were, I was just using a bit a bit ago, the word tune, uh, still floating up there. Uh, but it's going to give you a, a flesh score on the document, as well as the vocabulary level for the document, reading time, etc. But then it also will try to identify some potentially challenging words. And if you want to go further with that, you can say, okay, I want to see, um, you know, what are my um, low frequency words that I might need to be concerned about in this document. And if you go further, you can say, I want to create a Google spreadsheet that includes those low frequency words. That might be some that we need to work on with the students. Give a click on that link and it will open up a spreadsheet that has those words in there. And for each word, there's a link to a definition for that word. So if I come in and we'll just grab, uh, we'll grab a word here, hit the, the definition. There we go. It'll pop up a dictionary definition site for it. There's also synonyms, uh, images from the noun project, and then even you can jump over to Ngram and run an Ngram search on that. Um, in addition to that, uh, you can also insert into the document that low frequency table in the document so that it almost turns it into like a study guide at the bottom of the document where the students can again click the links to learn about them and then take notes on those individual words. Uh, lots of other tools beyond that as well, even like the highlighting of the low frequency words if you want to do that. Um, but thought it would be a neat one to explore. Um, again, either for if you're looking at your own writing to check for um, potentially uh, difficult words, or if you're working on get, getting an article prepped for your students to read. So those are just a few that I came across um, this month and uh, definitely check those links out if any of those look interesting to you there. Uh, besides that, I think we did have a few cool things in the community show and tell. So thanks so much for sharing those. I see um, a link here about talk and comment, uh, 30 different ways to use Google Slides in class. Uh, here we have a recorded video about how to send a calendar invite to all the students uh, and teachers in a Google Classroom. That's uh, definitely off of our discussion from earlier today. So I'm excited to look and see if that one looks like. And then I know we've talked about this one before, but this is another great extension. I think it's popped up in one of our meetings before. It's the one that allows you to um, make a Google slideshow take up more space, but you're not really in presentation mode. You're still in edit mode. Uh, it just gets rid of the little film strip on the side and it makes the edit area as large as possible. And that's great if you're trying to do an interactive slideshow activity. So you're not presenting, you're actually still in edit mode, but like if you need to do a drag and drop, build a snowman type activity, something like that, it just gives you a lot more space to work with on the slide, uh, which is very nice as well. Awesome. And I 
think we may have had some questions pop in. I don't know. We can take a quick look at those and see yeah. if anybody here has answers on any of these. Um, I do see we had um, a question about loving new add-ons and wanting to find those that are safe for K-12 and wondering if anybody has put together such a list. Uh, here's a, a link um, to a proposed uh, spreadsheet to try this out and start, you know, filling in some add-ons in there. I don't know. Stephanie, Patrick, John, anybody have any details on a good source for a place where add-ons have been reviewed for safety? I don't. I have not. Um, I can put our district site because we have to have, like it's an approved library. Um, so I can add that. Okay. Well, if anybody does have some resources, please throw those in here. If there's something you've come across that is helping to um, evaluate the uh, appropriateness for K-12 of add-ons, that would be awesome. I have not used Talking Comment, so I don't know if Stephanie, Patrick, John, anybody else has used that. I have not used Talking Comment. Um, uh, a lot of the other tools that we use for recording and you know text-to-speech and speech-to-text and all those, I have used, but I have not tried talking comment. So uh, they're indicating a problem with that. And so I don't know if anybody has experience enough with that, that they want to respond to that. That'd be great. Um, but that is not one that I have tried out myself. And then the last thing we've got here is I've got a user that has an active account on our domain, but isn't showing up as a user when you go to send an email or invite to classroom. You can manually type in their email, but why are they not auto-pulling when they're part of our domain? Huh. Well, that's interesting because usually that's typically an all or nothing thing as to whether you want your directory to be uh, displayed um, for autocomplete. I don't know that I've come across a situation where an individual user is not auto-completing, but other users are. Huh. So no, sorry, I didn't see that question earlier. I might have poked a stick at it a little bit more, but no, I'm not, I'm not sure off the top of my head why one particular user would be showing up, uh, would not be auto-completing when others would. Again, if anybody knows, and uh, that's one I'm happy to take a look at later as well and add in a response here if anybody has any details on that. All right. Well, hey guys, I think we're getting pretty close to the end of our time. Let's do a couple things as we start to wrap up here. Uh, first of all, uh, Stephanie, if there's anything you see in the chat, uh, let us know if there's something that we missed that we need to discuss. And I'll also shout out to everybody who's watching. If you have something still to share, please throw that in the chat or in the Q&A. Uh, and that would be wonderful. But as we do start to ramp up, just a couple of, of reminders, and then we'll give Stephanie, Patrick, and John a chance to share anything else they want to before we wrap up. Um, I do want to remind people that um, 
If you haven't yet, please do take a moment to sign in to the meeting. At the top of the agenda document in the important link, links section, there's a link there to the sign-in form that allows us to generate certificates of attendance for you, as well as to report to Google the number of people who attended the meeting. Um, and of course, as always, encourage you to you know, connect with us on all the normal ways. Uh, if you uh, uh, prefer to listen to things on podcasts, Stephanie does do a podcast version of this with the audio pulled out of this. We've got our Facebook group you can connect on. And of course, our Google group uh, for email distribution group uh, for conversations and discussions in between. Um, oh, hey, it, and it turned into Spanish too. That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we had a little, I, I thought maybe a, uh, maybe I need to take a nap. <laughs> I was looking at that. I'm like, this doesn't look right. <laughs> so uh, we may have to tweak that at some point. <laughs> okay. Um, but other than that, um, I want to remind folks that we have our next meeting uh, coming up. Let's see uh, when we've got that currently scheduled for. Uh, looks like April 29th. Uh, always check though the site. If we, if we need to bump things around or move things, we'll always reflect that on there and in the emails that we send out. Uh, but at the moment, we're looking at April 29th as our next meeting. Um, I absolutely want to thank Patrick so much for being here today. The resources that were shared were fantastic. All of Patrick's contact info is down at the bottom of the document. Please uh, connect with him as well. All right. So um, let me throw it out to the rest of the folks here. Uh, first of all, Stephanie, anything else to add? Um, just check out the podcast if you have anyone that wants to listen in and let us know something that you learned today. A lot of people are really excited about the um, reading list. It's been a huge one. Awesome. Patrick, let me throw it over to you. Anything else you would like to share before we wrap up? Not much, except I will share one more thing that I learned recently that kind of blew my mind, which is Google related because it relates to Gboard. So if you use that on your Android phone or on your iOS, I did not know this was a thing until I saw it, but you can actually use your thumb or whatever one you usually hit the space bar with to slide left or right to adjust where your cursor is versus trying to touch up on the screen and then drag and drop where you want it. You can put your thumb on that space bar, go back and forth. Really? For me, it's so much easier. And shout out, I believe that came from a Fried Technology Twitter post, if I remember correct, but blew my mind when I saw it. Somehow I did not know that was a thing. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. I, I use Gboard as my preferred method of, of entering text on my phone. And yes, that I could see where that would be so helpful. And then John, John Mansell-Cladle, anything you'd like to share with the group? No, I've just enjoyed uh, everything that people had to share, and I'm looking forward to next month's meeting. Awesome. Yeah, and I know earlier, John uh, is a Sheets guru, I think I read in the chat. Is that right, John? Um, I, I will own up to that. Not as good as Alice Keeler, but um, I can hold my own. Um, so I know I think Leah had some questions. So if you do have questions for John, just reach out to him. He is amazing. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Well, guys, hey, thanks again so very much for being a part of our meeting here today, whether you joined us live or if you're watching this as a recording later. Thank you so much. We appreciate all your contributions and look forward to seeing you next month and chatting all the way in between. So take care, everybody. Talk to you later. <laughs>